this revival's been awesome. You know, it's just just a glimpse into what we're going to have in glory every day. Every day. And um, boy, I tell you what, I was talking to Marty a little bit last night, and all these aches and pains of life one day are going to be gone. There's coming a day, it's going to be no more. So I'm going to sing about that. Good luck. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day! Glorious day that will be, what a day that will be, when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face and see the glory of his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through that promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrows there, no more burdens, no bear, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. What a day, glorious day that will be. You know, we don't have music tonight, but really the music is secondary. The words is what counts. Shackled by a heavy burden, neath the load of guilt and shame, and then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me, oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made 
me whole. I will never cease to shout it. I'll sing until the broken goes home. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. You know, I'm going to have you to join me in that chorus. If you know he touched you, then really sing it out, okay? He touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. It's all about the Savior, right? It's good to be saved. It's good to be in church. I found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. I love to tell how he lifted me. And what His grace can do for you. Saved by His power divine. Saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete. For I'm saved, saved, saved. He saves me from every sin and harm, secures my soul each day. I'm leaning strong on his mighty arm. I know he'll guide me. All the way, saved by his power divine, saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete, for I'm saved, saved, saved. When poor and and all alone and love he said to me come unto me and I'll lead you home to live with me eternally Saved by his power divine, saved to new life sublime. 
Life now is sweet and my joy is complete for I'm saved, saved, saved. Jeremiah chapter 32. I want to preach a message tonight I've entitled, To the Servant, God is Able. To the Servant, God is Able. It's a sermon on the power of God. It's a sermon on the ability of God. It's a sermon on encouraging and assuring of what God can do. Specifically to the servant. Now, this is a Wednesday night. All right, you came out. You had a lot of other things you could have done tonight. All right, you came out to church. You came out to draw closer to God. I believe that. Um, but I, uh, so I would assume that it is your desire to be a servant of God tonight. To be a servant of God tonight. Now, there's a lot of different terms in Scripture for people. Um, uh, in Scripture, different people are described in different ways. Uh, but to be described in, in 2017, to be described as a servant of God. You know, if, if someone were to ask me to describe my dad, that's what I would say. I'd say he's a servant of God. I wouldn't say he's perfect. I wouldn't say he's done everything right. I wouldn't say he's accomplished anything that anybody could ever accomplish. But I would absolutely say uh, that he's a servant of God. I would say that. Um, if, if his closest ally in this life went this way and God went that way, he'd keep serving God. If God called him to do something, the church he pastors now, he had no desire in pastoring. Uh, but God told him to, to start out on it, uh, and he followed, because he's a servant of God. Um, and God called him out to the mission field in the early 1980s, and he went out to a, a place with a, you know average temperature over 100 and uh, 100% humidity and no electricity. All right, so that, no fun, all right? And he used to take two showers a night, all right, to get through the night. But he stayed there and would have stayed. He'd still be there today if it was the Lord's will because he's not serving man, but he's a servant of God. Amen. All right, and I'll tell you from the bottom of my heart, if you were to ask me, and I've always thought this, but if you were to ask me to describe the pastor and sister Tracy, I would say they're servants of God. Yeah. I'd say that, I, in my opinion, they're doing what God wants them to do. God told them to go somewhere different tomorrow. If God told them to do something different here tomorrow, I believe they'd do it. All right, I think that they're not always doing what they want to do. But I think they're doing what God wants them to do. I think they're serving the Lord. And that's the greatest testimony any human being can have for another human being is follow me as I follow the Lord. All right, and I pray I could say that, follow me as I follow the Lord. Well, I've got to be following the Lord, right? Amen. And this message to you is, is to me as well to be a servant of God. But not in blind faith. But absolutely by faith. But a faith of assurance that God gives us. We call it hope. And it's not a blind thing, but rather it's something that God's given us and He's told us to do something and we follow Him by it. Now, Jeremiah chapter 32, we find ourselves, if I could give you a short introduction into the chapter, (coughs) in Jeremiah chapter 32, we find what we refer to as, or some have referred to, as the weeping prophet. Of Jeremiah, he wrote the book Lamentations, all right? To lament is to, uh, not to complain, but to bring up something that is negative, all right? And that's Lamentations, and Jeremiah wrote it, and he had a, a, a sad existence, all right? He had a sad existence by human accounts, all right? And we find in, and we find ourselves in Jeremiah chapter 32 that the Chaldeans have taken the land of Israel. Now, you know the Chaldeans. All right, you do, whether you realize you do or not, you do. All right, the Chaldeans are the Persians, are the Medes, are the Babylonians, are the Assyrians. They're all the same people, they just changed 
names sometimes. You read through Daniel and you see the Medes, and then the next chapter it's uh, uh, the Babylonians, and the next chapter it's Chaldeans. It's all the same people. They just have different people in charge. It'd be like if we were to describe our last, the, our country based on the last presidents. All right, uh, we'd have uh, the United States of right now, New York. Before that, it would have been the United States of Illinois. Before that, it would have been the United States of Texas. All right, before that, it would have been the United States of Arkansas, because that's where those presidents were from, and that's how these lands. That it was the same land mass. It's just. Babylon took over, so they called it Babylon, and Chaldeans were ruling, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. And it's a big, it's a big place. It's a big place. It's a powerful place. And they've taken the land of Israel. Not only is Jeremiah find himself in the land of Israel as Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans have taken it, he's in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is under siege. Which means their water supply, their food supply, their information supply is all cut off. Their ability to find out how's my niece and nephew doing, it's cut off. Their ability, what is tomorrow going to be like, it's cut off. Not only is Jeremiah in the land of Israel and in the the city of Jerusalem, which is under siege by Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans, he's in prison because King Zedekiah doesn't like what he has to say, and so he's thrown him in the innermost court of the prison. Jeremiah, the servant of God, could not be at a lower place And at a lower time, and you know what God tells him to do in Jeremiah chapter 32? He tells him to go to his cousin and to buy his house and to buy his land and to take all the wealth that he has and to give it to his cousin to buy it and to make sure you do it in front of the the court and in front of those that have the authority to make sure it's your land and to buy that land. Is that not a most worthless purchase anyone could ever make? He'll never live on that land. He'll never eat of that, the field. Uh, he'll, never, he'll never sleep a single night in that house. But God told him, he said, look, your land is under siege. Your city's under siege. You're under siege. Your body's under siege. Your mind is under siege. But just so you know that I will bring you out of it and that I will restore all things to you, you can count on it this much. Go and buy a house here in Jerusalem. That's how sure God is of his promises. That's how sure God is of his word. And the message to you tonight is, to the servant, God is able. He's so able, you can bank on it. You can buy the house God's telling you to buy on. You You can purchase it. You can go ahead and put all your energy, all your wealth, everything that you have, you can put it on what God is calling you to do because no matter how it looks, no matter how it feels, no matter how it seems, God, to the servant, God is able. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 15. Uh, And I wasn't just talking, it's too many verses for us to read tonight. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 15. Jeremiah 32 and verse 15. And God's word says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, he told him to buy it, and he went out and bought the house from his cousin. Verse 15. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Barak the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Verse 26. 
Verse 26, then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah kept speaking and the Lord responds here in verse 26. In verse 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, if I can be honest with you, the message I'm going to preach tonight, I stole. I'm not the first person to preach it. All right, I stole it. I stole it from God. I'm just going to repeat what he said right there. Is there anything too hard for God? While his land was taken from him, while his city was under siege, his his, uh, patriotic values are destroyed. Not only that, but as a human being, he's looking for some type of of reward, some type of of assurance that, hey, God is going to bless me for my labors. He's looking for something, and God tells him, look, you're not going to see it with your eyes. You might not even see it in this life, but it's such a sure thing that you can take all that you have and you can pour it into it because you will come back and you will live in this land. Because is anything too hard for God? And Jeremiah said, is anything too hard for God? Amen. To the servant. Tonight I want to speak to the servant. I don't want to speak on salvation tonight. I'm not speaking on uh, physical healing tonight. Although I'd pray for it if you need it. I'm talking about tonight. Somebody who's Jeremiah. Who's trying to serve the Lord. I'm talking about somebody who listened in Sunday school this week. And Sunday morning and Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night. And said, here's what God spoke to me about. You know what God spoke to me about? God spoke to me about uh, witnessing. Winning souls. Uh, Brother Marty covered it a couple different times. And Brother John stood right here and yelled. He said, "Where? looking over the sea. Where's your souls? Where's your souls? Where's your souls? And he was talking right to me. He was talking right to me. And God's speaking to me. So there we are. We're Jeremiah. We're Jeremiah. And God is saying to the servant, to those willing to respond to what God has spoken to you about, God is able. We don't have to set out on our own and do it on our own way. It's already there handed to us. He said in verse 15, look at verse 15. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. The promises are ours. And it's a sure thing. And we can not only partially but wholly invest ourselves in something that we might feel like is an impossible thing. And by the way, him buying that house, him buying that land was irrational. It was irrational. What God might call you to do, what what God might have you to do, might seem, humanly speaking, and and cognitively uh, applying yourself, it might seem irrational. It might even seem impossible. Look at verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. I told you I was going to steal this message. I'm going to steal his point. That Jeremiah made right there in verse 17, he pointed to the proven power of God. That's my first point, the proven power of God. Just ask the witnesses in Scripture. Ask Noah. That as God is capable of bringing a flood so strong and so powerful that it destroys every living thing on this earth that wasn't in the ark, but with that same power is fully capable of preserving who? 
His servant. To the servant, God is able. He's able as all the lands and all the animals and all of humanity and all the armies and all the intellect of, well, let's just build this or build that or here's how we'll keep from it or we'll figure something out or we'll get together. We'll figure something out. And the world's always trying to figure out an answer to something. Right now it's to whatever's going on with jihad, whatever. They're trying to figure that out. If they're not going to figure it out, they're going to respond the absolute backwards way anyone would ever respond. They're not going to get in the ark. They didn't get in the ark back then. They're not going to get in the ark now. They're not going to turn to God. They're not going to look for truth. But you and I, to the servant, God is able. Just ask witnesses in Scripture. Ask Noah. Boy, I bet it meant a lot to Noah that God saved his wife. I bet it meant a lot to Noah that God saved his sons and his daughters. Just ask about God's proven power. Jeremiah pointed to God's power in creation. And truly, David did the same thing when he said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day and day utter his speech, night and night. There is no uh, language where their voice is not heard. Everybody sees the hand of God. Christians, we ought to be very familiar with. Servants of God, we ought to be very familiar with. The proven power of God. Do you believe in God's proven, preserving power? Are we fearful tonight of the judgment God will bring on America? But are we certain that as he brings that judgment, just like he brought the flood on the world back then, he can preserve, he can preserve his through it. He judges America. He can bring Noah through it. If he can bring Noah through the entire world being destroyed, he can bring Joy Baptist Church or you or your family or those that are yours or those that you care about or those that you're trust to the servant. Noah was obedient. Noah got in the ark and he was glad to see what God could do to preserve and to keep as all others were judged. Christian, will you be a servant of God? It's not blind faith, but rather stepping out. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you this week about, whatever it is, are you willing to say, I'm getting in that ark, whatever that ark might look like, whatever that ark might uh, be to you, that you're going to get in the ark knowing, not blind faith at all, but knowing what God can do to his servants when they follow him he preserved his servant Noah he preserved his scripture in the King James Bible he preserved his son and his sons through all kinds of judgment you know we face a lot of spiritual enemies in high places Paul said wickedness and powerful But we don't face anything like what the Lord faced when he was on that cross and he had the sins of the world on him and he was taken down into hell and he led captivity captive. We don't face something like that. Not on our own. You know what? The Lord Jesus Christ was preserved through that. You and I can be preserved through our temptation. You and I can be preserved through our temptation. The spiritual wickedness, the spiritual attacks, the spiritual enemies. If the Lord Jesus Christ is right now seated at the right hand of the Father, you and I can overcome whatever it is that we are faced by as a servant, as we step forward and as we start to walk with Him and as we step out with Him, whatever it is that stops, uh, seeks to stop us, or seeks to get in our way. He preserved his servant Noah. He preserved his scripture. He's preserved his son and his sons. We read in Proverbs 12 that he said he'd preserve his word to all 
generations. Jude verse 1 begins with, to those that are preserved in Christ. He can preserve. And he'll keep you and those that are yours. He preserved his nation Israel. He preserved his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how much power is in that name? If you're Satan, is there anything you would rather have taken out of the English language by 2017 than the name, the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet it's still prevalent. Everyone knows it and everyone says it. You don't think that's something Satan's tried to just get rid of? I mean, if we didn't know what his name was, imagine. Pray in his name. I don't know what it is. He has, the Lord has preserved his name. That's got to be something that's been under attack throughout time to just get rid of out of the, our vocabulary. Amen. He's preserved his name. He's preserved his nature. God came down and became flesh and dwelt among us. And he did not sin. His nature was preserved. And you know what we get from that? We get that righteousness imputed to us. Because His nature was preserved. Do you believe in the preserving power of God? See, when you take that step out there, Jeremiah, when you go and buy that land, you're not doing it blindly. You're doing it with absolute assurance. That land will someday be yours. You'll set up a chair and sit on that land. You'll grow a tree on that land. You'll grow, have a family. Someday you'll be on that land. And it might not be in this life. But that land is yours. If God says it's yours, it's yours. Amen. It's not blind faith at all. It's proven power. Power to give victory to a young boy over a bear, a lion, and Goliath. Amen. Victory to a scared, timid Gideon and his 300 men. I was wondering, I was wondering tonight... If maybe God was watching tonight, and however you ate that, however people ate their cookie this week, He started windling them out, and this is the three hundred. All right, this is the three hundred. All right, but Gideon, when Gideon comes on the scene and judges, he's hiding behind his dad's house so nobody can see him, so nobody can see what he does. And then God comes down and says, "Hey, I'm going to lead you to. You're going to lead your people to victory." And he says, "Show me a sign." God shows him a sign: the dew on the fleece and not on the fleece. He says, "Show me another sign." Shows him another sign. Uh, this was a scared, timid Gideon. This is not an out in front leader, but God took his servant, and with three hundred people, they came up over this mountaintop, and they couldn't count the people they were without just so many people uh, ready to destroy them and he's got 300 people with lamps in their hand they don't even have weapons because the enemy didn't allow him to have weapons that's why he was hiding when he was threshing before and God takes that scared timid leader and his 300 men and they destroy the whole enemy you know why because Gideon was a servant and God preserves his servants if God's calling you to serve him If God's calling you to do something for him, you will not be left alone. And there is nothing, that army, no matter how big it is, cannot stop you. He brought victory to an outnumbered people, Israel, repeatedly. He brought victory to an outnumbered prophet. You remember Elijah and Elisha against the prophets of Baal and against the enemies of God. Time after time after time, the Syrian army came. I mean, time after time, uh, they were outnumbered, but God brought them victory. He brought victory to his outnumbered person, Job versus his three friends or four. He was outnumbered. Uh, he had to be pretty steadfast. He had to have his mind really made up and he had to really believe in what he was doing with all the physical problems he was having and the, the, the strain and the stress that he was under. And now his closest friends come to him and are discouraging him. 
and are accusing him and don't have his back. Uh, You know what? He was outnumbered. He had Satan against him. He had his friends against him. He had his family against him. He had everybody against him. You know what? He was outnumbered. But you know what? He was not outmatched. He was not overmatched because the Lord was on his side. He brought victory to his children. That's you and I. First John says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Are you born again? You're born again, you're a child of God, and he's brought victory to his children. He's brought victory to his church. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Paul says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us victory to his children, to his church, to his chosen. I say to his chosen. If there's something God's called you to do, it is not a flippant decision. God has looked at the need of another person. God has looked at the ability of you. God has looked at the whole situation. He knows it. He understands it all. It is no mistake that He's chosen you to call on to bring you up to this next step, to bring you up to this next level, to remove this sin from your life. Whatever it is, as John spake last night on removing sin, whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, it was a very clear and well thought out choice that God made and He brings victory to His chosen. You know, He says He uses the foolish thing. You know he's used a fallen race. And you know he uses a faithful few. In you and I. We don't have much to us. Foolish things. We're we're human beings. We're a fallen race. But those faithful few. Those 300. That David. That young boy who doesn't fall in with all of his brothers up there on the mountaintop not knowing what to do. But knew his God. To those. To that Esther. To those faithful few, do you believe in God's proven performance of power in victory in your life? Just ask the witnesses in Scripture. Not only should we ask the witnesses in Scripture, we should ask the witness of Scripture. You know, everybody needs assurance. And God has given us the word of assurance. He's given us the word of assurance. So many years later, and we have it. How many sermons, how many preaching, how many, you know, you picture in your mind's eye, and I don't know if you have a good, um, uh, where you imagine thing, imagination, all right, I don't know if you have a good imagination, but you picture that dad and that mom and that, that kid just th- a thousand years ago getting around the Bible and quoting scripture and talking about the Bible and being assured of it and knowing more about the Lord and 1,500 years ago and 2,000 years ago and the, those, uh, uh, the church at Ephesus and all those other ones just gathering around what? Gathering around the Bible. Just consider the witness of Scripture and what God can do to what He's placed His hand on. If He's placed His hand on you, why would He be any less faithful than He's been to this? Consider the witness of Scripture. God's Word assured Moses throughout his life. You know what God said? I'm using you. And as a servant... That word, that promise, that assurance. And God brought him. You know what? He needs to hear more from me. He brings him in the Holy of Holies. You know what? He needs to be, hear more from me. He brings him up on the mountaintop. But what was it that assured Moses? When Moses had doubts, when Moses had questions, it was the word of God. The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said, and the Lord said to me, and the Lord said to me, and the Lord commanded, and here's the commandments of the Lord. It was the words of the Lord that assured the servant of God. 
David was not himself and had no hope without the daily and moment-by-moment assurance and power of Scripture. Just ask him. Throughout Psalms, he was hopeless and he had nothing without the Scripture right by his side. Mary and Joseph were assured by the Word of God through the angel of God what they were about to go through and what they should do in it. Paul and the apostles were assured by the Word of God. John, with the book of Revelation, he was assured by the Word of God. Even the Lord Himself was assured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And after His fasting and temptation, those angels came down and ministered to Him. What do you think those angels did? They encouraged Him in the Lord. All right? They gave Him the Word of the Lord. All right? What do you, uh, when, the, when the Lord came down and Moses and Elijah and all that's going on, what was it? Remember, Peter later on said, we have a more sure word. But it, what they had was a word. They had a sure word. Ours is a more sure word. But they had another sure word. All right? Even the Lord Jesus Christ was encouraged by the Word. You and I will be encouraged by the same Word. By the same Word. Just ask the witness of Scripture. Not only does everyone need assurance, just like those ones I just listed, but everyone has assurance. It's been promised to all generations in Proverbs 12. It's provided to all. You know how I know that? He said, if any man knocks. He said, if any man asks, he'll give. He'll open up the door. He'll commune with you. He'll sup with you. He'll come into you. If, if any man. Are you an any man? All right. Are you a human being? All right. Are you a human being tonight? If you're a human being, then you are an any man. And if you knock or if you ask, what will he do? He will give you his words of assurance. So many years later. So many years later. He'll speak to you. God's proven power. God's proven power. If you were listening Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, any one of those days. If you were listening, God spoke to you. He spoke to you. Do you believe in the proven, the proven power of God? Because to the servant, God is able. Now let's get into the message. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 15. Three quick points out of Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 15. And I want you to consider this. I want you to chew on it. I want you to take it home. I want you to think about it. I want this verse uh, to be something that you consider in your mind. I don't want you to... uh, What I'm going to tell you tonight is one-tenth of what the Lord's told me out of that verse. All right, I want you to take that verse and consider it. I want you to meditate on it and think of it. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 15. And God's word says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, He speaks, I'm listening, The God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now you know, just as well as I do, those are very three unique and different things. I'll tell you what, you go back to Samuel and you read about King Saul. King Saul um, just had some kind of weird temperament. Right? He had all kinds of issues. Right? He had anger issues and envy issues and tried to kill his own son, tried to kill his enemy, tried to kill anybody that would get around him. And he's sitting under a tree one day in Ramoth. And he is sulking, all right? He's sulking, and he has his inner circle around him who are probably shaking in their boots because he's, he's, he's kind of crazy, all right? You're not supposed to use that word, but he, he's a little disturbed, all right? He's a little unstable. Let's say that. He's a little unstable, all right? And they're sitting next to him, and he's got a lot of power, though. At any point, he can turn on you. And he says, 
He says to them, because he's questioning, why isn't anyone telling me where David's at? Certainly some of you know where David's at. And this is the way he poses the question. He says, has David promised to you houses and fields and vineyards? You know why? Because that meant something to somebody. It wasn't just a place to live or a place to sleep. You know what I believe? One of the great fears of a servant of God, at least it is in my life, when God calls me to something, one of my first fears that comes up, how does it affect my home? You know what God's saying? I'll preserve your house. You know what He's saying? I got my mind on your house. I know what's going on back there. I know it's troubled. I know you have issues. I know you're comfortable back there. That's a hard one too. God calls you to an uncomfortable place. I told you my dad... Uh, likes air conditioning, and God called him to a place with 100-degree temperatures and 100% humidity and had to take two showers at night to go to sleep. You know why? Because he likes air conditioning, all right? And he did not like sleeping in sweat, all right? So he was extremely uncomfortable. We don't like to leave comfort. And it might not be something that severe. It might just be something about speaking out or, or something like that. It's uncomfortable. And what God's saying is, I got my mind on your home. I got my mind. I know you like that comfort. I know you like that closeness. I got my mind on your relationships. That's a big deal. Just ask the disciples when the Lord, in his earthly ministry, one comes up to him and says, Lord, I've served you. I've served you with everything that I have. He says, go sell everything you have. And he walked away sad. You know why? God's got his mind on his home. Another one comes and says, Lord, I'll follow you. Suffer me first to bury, I don't remember who it was, my uncle. His father. All right, suffer me first to bury my father. And the Lord, Lord's got his mind on his home. He knows it's a fear. It is a great fear to the servant of God when, some, when God speaks out to you and he says, Hey, get that Bible out at 7 o'clock every night. Sit down in your corner, wherever it is. Get that Bible out and start reading. Your first thought is, what's my wife going to think? What are my kids going to think? What are my neighbors going to think if they can see in the window? Think of Daniel as he opened up that window and he prayed out through all for Jerusalem, and he prayed for his home, and he prayed for those that were in captivity. There's a fear. There's a fear there. I don't think I'm making that up one bit. There's a fear there. There's an anxiety there. I'll tell you what, it's a promised power. Christian, you can go ahead and invest in the home God's given you. You can invest yourself in the field that God's laid before you. You can count on the vineyard, the luxury, the sweetness God promises and provides the servant. Because to the servant of God, God is able. But I believe, first of all, I want to look at that house. I want to look at the home. I believe there's no greater fear. It's the servant's first thought and hesitation when commanded. It's the servant's first thought and hesitation When commanded. But you know what, God? He's getting right up beside you like John was talking about yesterday. The Lord is. Not me. He's getting right up beside you. He's putting your arm around you. He's saying, I know. I know. I know. But let's do this. I got my mind toward your home. I got my mind toward your dad. I got my mind toward your riches, your comforts. I I know what's going on. We can do this. He'll preserve you through it. He's got his mind toward your home. He promises the power He promises the home. God recognizes that when he called Abraham to sacrifice his son, that he was going to see Abraham's and what God was able to do in Abraham's home. He knew that son was a big deal to his servant. 
What a great servant Abraham is. Father of our faith. Father of our faith. You want to look at faith as a testimony. He walked his whole life to a land that he knew he was never going to see. Uh, to start a lineage and a generation he was never going to see. To start a nation he was never going to see. To, to set up a kingdom and a throne someday that the Lord was going to sit on. He was never going to see. He, he didn't know any of it. He was a pilgrim, complete pilgrim. Walking just wherever God tells me to go. Okay, I'll go. I'm going there. He didn't know where to. He was just following. What a great man. But you know what was a hesitation for him? His son. But God was aware of that. God knows that. He knows that. God's aware of that house. God said to Abraham, not only was his family secure, Abraham, you follow me, I'll take care of your son. And he showed him that up on that mount. He showed him, God, God will save that son. God will provide a lamb. He showed him, but not only, not only did God show Abraham that he would secure his family. In Genesis 12, 3, he said, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Not only was his family secure, all families will find security through your lineage. You know what God had his mind toward? Not only his family, not only his house, not only his home, but all the homes. And he provided for them. Through Abraham. He'll provide for yours. He'll provide for yours. If God's calling you to something, if God's calling you to take a step, if it's reading your Bible, if it's praying, if it's getting something out of your house, and your first hesitation, your first thought is, what's my husband going to think? What are my kids going to think? What are my neighbors going to think? What's this person going to think? What's that person going to think? God's aware of that. That's a very real fear. That's throughout Scripture. It's a very real fear. And what God's telling you is, is that he says, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed. God's saying to the servant, I've called you to buy something. I've called you to do something. And I will, I've got my mind toward your home. I've got my mind toward your home. God's mind is not only toward the home, I believe it's foremost toward the home. He says in Psalm 68, 5 and 6, he says, uh, praising God, a father... Of the fatherless, a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary, those that don't have families, God setteth the solitary in families. You know what he's seeking to do? In his habitation, in his home, he's looking to set up other homes. He's got his mind toward the home. He's got his mind toward the house. So when God says, Bob Leakley, I'm calling you to this thing. I want you to take this step of faith. I'm calling you to get this thing out of your life or to add this thing to your life. He is well aware of my home. Well aware of my house. Psalm 113.9 says, He maketh the barren women to keep house and to, uh, and to be a joyful mother, a barren woman, to be a joyful mother of children. Praise you the Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying he's looking toward the home. He's got his mind on the home to bless it and to keep it and to give the desire of your heart in your home and to bless your house. But I absolutely believe the servant's first thought and hesitation when God commands and when God calls is how will it affect my home. The comforts I have back there. The relationships I have back there. Just like all those disciples that came to Christ. <laughs> God's mind is toward the home. He's not careless in his calling. The best thing for the servant's home is for the servant to trust and obey. It's the best thing for your home. 
Not only is the home the great fear, but I also believe, especially today, there's no greater fear, but there's also no greater failure of faith. We serve our home. Look around. Our generation, this generation, my generation, your generation, we serve our home. Well, why can't you come to church tonight? The home. The game, the this, the that, the something. Why? The home. We're doing it for, doing it for the kids. You've got to have family time. All right, I had a, a youth pastor one time that we worked kind of shoulder to shoulder for some time, and he'd skip one Sunday night a month. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to be on staff. It doesn't. When you're on staff, it doesn't mean you're spirit, more spiritual than somebody who's not on staff. It doesn't mean anything. But you're on staff, and you're skipping a service a month for a family movie night. And he had like three other nights a week off. But Sunday night was family movie night. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, uh, but what it is, you know what it is? It's a great, it's a great failure of faith. You can go ahead and serve God. God will take care of your family for you. You go ahead and serve God. God will take care of your family for you. Now I'm no fool, and I'm absolutely not a naive or a novice. That doesn't mean divorce ain't going to happen. Doesn't mean thirteen year old kids aren't going to argue. What I'm trying to say is God's aware. He's aware, and He'll bring you through it. He'll bring His servants through it. The servant who ceases to serve, based on the negative impact it could potentially have on his home, is trusting in self and his own reasoning, his own rationale. There is no greater failure of faith. Consider God's care for the home of Joseph and Mary at the birth of Jesus Christ. He used a lot of heaven's greatest resources to protect and defend that home. Mary was a servant of God. And God was worried about her and what Joseph was going to do to her when he found out she was with child. He sent his greatest angels down to, to deal with the situation. You don't think God's concerned with the home? Amen. God calls a servant and he said, it wasn't Mary's idea to have a child. It wasn't Mary's idea to, to bear the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't her idea for the Holy Ghost to come on her and for the, to conceive and the Lord Jesus Christ would be in her womb and she would carry her son and it would pierce her heart someday and all those things she was going to go through. That wasn't her desire to be pregnant before they're married and all the, the thoughts and all the comments and all the things that would come with it. But she was absolutely a willing, be it unto me, according to thy word, she said. And you know what God did? He sent all his angels down there and he said, you make sure Joseph understands this is of the Lord. This is of the Lord. God calls you to serve Him in something. He's gonna, he's got, you've got all of heaven's resources behind it. He's not going to forget. I forgot to tell Joseph what I was doing. <laughs> he might misunderstand. All right, I, for, I forgot to work that thing out in the prison ministry there. So, so Brother Marty, I forgot, I forgot to get in. God calls you to do something. He's got His mind toward it. He'll work the details out. And you've got all the resources of heaven available for His servant can you and I truly defend the home from unseen attacks? You know, the scripture says that in our day, false teachers creep into houses. We going to be able to stop them? You may be able to stop your husband, your wife, your kid, your neighbor. You may be able to stop them from, from those false teachers creeping in. They subvert whole houses, the scripture says. You can be able to stop them? You can be able to stop them? We need the Lord. We need the Lord. We need to get in that ark. We need to follow him as a servant because he'll preserve not only in the home but also the field. 
the field. He says there in Jeremiah 32 and verse 15, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. <coughs> Not only will God have his mind toward the houses, he's got his mind, and he has prepared a field for you. It's a promised labor. Some people said to the Lord that they didn't see where their labor was. They said, Lord, where's our labor? Where's the fields that you've called us to serve in? Where's the fields that you've had us to say? And the Lord said in John chapter 4, he said, Say ye not, there are yet four months, then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Are you willing to be a servant of God? God will provide a field for you to labor. Do you believe in his proven power to his servants to provide a field to labor to each of his children and to each of his servants? The only place we're going to turn tonight, turn to Ruth chapter 2. As you're turning to Ruth chapter 2, I want to tell you a little bit of a story about King David's great-grandmother. Does anybody know King David's great-grandmother's name? As you're turning to Ruth. Come on now, I'm a smart dog. You guys don't know me well enough at all. It's Ruth. All right, it is Ruth. All right, as you're turning to Ruth, all right, I'm going to tell you a story about King David's great-grandmother. All right, she was a Moabitish woman, and her husband died, and her brother, her sister-in-law's husband died, and her father-in-law died, and here she was with her mom, Naomi, and with her sister-in-law Orpah, and there in the land of there in Moab, and her mother-in-law Naomi says, "I'm going back to Israel," and uh, she says, "Well, she's debating whether to go back with her or not," and she sets herself steadfastly, the Scripture says, to follow Naomi uh, back into the land of Israel, and Orpah stays. We don't hear anything about her. We don't know anything about her. But we do know a little bit about Ruth, and she's in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she ends up marrying a guy by the name of Boaz, and he's mentioned in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot comes from it uh, because she made a very good decision, and we'll look at that decision here in a second. But Ruth chapter 2, a field is provided. In Ruth chapter 2, not only is is there a promised labor... Uh, But there is a promised substance to the Christian. There are key promises. I want you to notice, if you're still trying to find Ruth, I'm going to bail you out. All right, there are key promises in Scripture on labor. Proverbs says, he that gathereth by labor shall increase. If you're going to serve God, you'll increase. If you're going to labor for God, you'll increase. It also says, in all labor there is profit. You're going to labor for God? You're going to see profit. 1 Corinthians says your labor is not in vain. You labor for the Lord? There's substance to it. It's also referred to in 1 Thessalonians and Hebrew as a labor of love. We're also told by God in Revelation, I know thy labor. He's aware of the labor you're doing. Also, he promises in Revelation 14, 13, rest from all Their labor. He promises a rest. There's a promised labor. You say, I don't see my field. He's provided one. And not only will he provide a field, but there is a promised substance to that field. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 5. So Ruth in 
Naomi are back in the land of Israel, and they're seeking and, and searching for some type of, they have nothing. And Ruth was told, Naomi told her, go back, she told her three times, go back to, to Moab, we're going to starve, there's nothing for us. Uh, but Ruth is looking for a field, substance. I'm talking about she's, she's going to die. If she doesn't have some source of food, she's going to die. So she goes behind the people that are working and reaping. And the, the custom there in Israel was, if you dropped something on the ground, you weren't allowed to pick it up. That's after the law of Moses. You weren't allowed to pick it up. The widows and, and, and the, the people that couldn't work for themselves and things like that would come up behind and pick up whatever you dropped, whatever you left off. You dropped something out of the bag, something, you weren't allowed to pick it up. It was, it was God's will. It was for them. He thinks that much. It's for them. All right? And so Ruth's trying to find a field to follow the workers around. Uh, so that she can pick up some extra things to provide for herself. And God promises a field, and he promises substance. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 5. Then said Boaz, he's the owner of the field, unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even until the, even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. And I don't know what that was, a bathroom break. I don't know if she, or I don't know what her age is, but she's out there working except for a couple minutes she tarried back there in the house. All right, but this girl's working. All right. Verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence. But abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. And go thou after them. Have I not charged the young man that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels. And drink of that which the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face as you and I should when God shows us our field. And bowed herself to the ground. And said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Why are you going to use me? That thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. And Boaz answered and said to her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity. You've left your house, you've left your home to go to the field. Hear it? And art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work. And full reward be given thee. Now notice her faith, the description of her uh, trust in the Lord here. Of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. So she had a testimony. Somehow Boaz knew this lady trusts the Lord. Verse 13. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, as the Lord does to us as we labor, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. God Pick the foolish things. He's picking us. All right. There's some better ones out there. Verse 14. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, eat of the bread communion, dip of thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and she reached her parched corn, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. Last verse. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. And reproach her not. Sorry, verse 16. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose. All right, you could preach a whole message on handfuls of purpose. All right, that's when it says, anybody here have a testimony? It's when you go, here's my handful of purpose. All right, God, all right it might have just been that this worked out for me, but something tells me it, there was a purpose to it. All right, God let the handfuls of purpose. And leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, you and I should, until the Lord returns, and beat out... 
that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. We find the substance provided. We find a field provided. Christian, you and I, there is a field provided, just like he did for Ruth, just like he did to feed her and to sustain her. Not only a field of labor, but a field of substance. If you and I walk away from the labor God has called us to, that's where our reward is at. That's where our fruit is at. That's where our labor is at. And that's where our substance, our spiritual substance, comes from. And he says not to muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth the corn, but you will be fed from the very same field that you labor in. And God will provide a field. And God will provide a field. I want you to notice here in Ruth, not only a field provided, but I want you to notice a servant steadfastly minded. Look at Ruth chapter 1 and verse 15. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 15. And uh, this is Naomi's telling her, just leave, just leave, just leave. Uh, But verse 14 says, but Ruth clave unto her. And then verse 15 says, and she said, Naomi speaking, Behold, thy sister-in-law, Orpah, is gone back under her people and under her, notice the spiritual references here, under her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. And the following is one of the most uh, greatest poetry this world has ever seen. Uh, Shakespeare, take a back seat. All right, this is something that... Uh, just, it flows. It's why scripture is so easy to memorize because there's a rhythm to it. There's a musical line to it. It says, For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee from me, And notice the observation of Naomi, the mother-in-law, in verse 18. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. We see in Ruth chapter 1 a servant steadfastly minded. You're not going to stop me. I want the God that is your God, I want to be my God. You know, I believe Ruth didn't follow her back because of Naomi, but because of that God. And Boaz saw it. Boaz knew the reason you're here is you've learned to trust under the wings of that God, under the wings of my God. And and Naomi even even said to her, go back to your gods. No, I'm not going back to my gods. I know your God. I'm going to your God. And when Naomi saw your mind is steadfast, your mind is steadfastly made. You are steadfastly minded to be a servant of that God. God provided through Boaz a field, not only for Ruth to serve in, not only for Ruth to labor in, but from that field a substance for her to be blessed by. Christian, could you use an extra blessing today? It's in your field waiting. And there's handfuls of purpose. God's dropping. Handfuls of purpose. God's dropping. If you'll be steadfastly minded. Not only the field, but finally, the vineyard. You don't have to turn there, but that verse we read back there in Jeremiah 32, 15 said that the the houses and the fields and the vineyards would be possessed in this land. You know, if, if we were to lose, if the whole earth tonight were to lose all of its gardens, 
and all of its fields, uh, we probably wouldn't last another year. All right, humanity would die within a, a year or two. If we didn't have any gardens or fields, anything coming up out of this earth, we wouldn't last a couple years. But you know, if all the vineyards, if we didn't have any more oranges, if we didn't have any more grapes, if we didn't have any more olives, we'd be just fine. A vineyard is not a necessity. It is an absolute sweet luxury. And not only is God saying, I've got my mind toward your home. Not only is God saying, I will provide a labor that is necessary. And I will provide a substance that is necessary. But I will provide an over and above sweetness. And as you go through your day, it'll be there for you. And as you go through your service, it'll be there for you. And it'll get better. And it'll get better. And it'll get better. And the longer I serve him the sweeter he grows. That vineyard is not a necessity. It's just an extra blessing. That vineyard is not something, can I be frank, that I deserve. That's how I picture Frank saying it. All right. And don't call me Shirley. All right. But can I tell you that vineyard is nothing more than an extra. It's nothing more than an extra. You know what? The day that God saved me, he had Joy Baptist Church on his mind. I don't deserve Joy Baptist Church. I'll tell you right now, I don't deserve Joy Baptist Church. When I was a teenager, I was in a great church. My dad's church, I was in a great church. You know what I did? I disrespected it. I did whatever I wanted and I was terrible. Terrible in it. And God gave me a a great church. Another great church! With great friends and great fellowship and great music. I don't deserve that hymnal. I don't deserve this book. You know what it is? It's God looking out and Him saying, Not only am I got my mind toward your home and I'll take care of your family and I'll give you, I'll preserve you through any obstacles you have. I understand you're leaving your comforts. I understand there's relationship issues. I'm going to watch over it. I'm going to give you strength through it. Just go ahead. If, if, if a man's calling you to do it, don't do it. But if God's calling you to do it, He's got His mind. Toward your home. And as he looks for the field, he says, Ruth, I've got one provided for you. And I've got handfuls of purpose. You go to that field you chose, they're not over there. You go to that uh, the one your dad chose over there, they're in one over there. But you go to the field that I've provided. You go to the field that I've chosen for you, and you'll find handfuls of purpose. Day after day after day. And he doesn't stop there. He says, I'll give you oranges. And I'll give you grapes. And I'll give you sweetness. And I'll give you things you don't even need, but it'll just make your day better. And it'll make your life better. And it'll make you realize that heaven is a pretty sweet place. Because God's there. You know, I think about these vineyards. It's not a necessity of life like the house or the field, but it's a luxury promised to the servant of the master. These vineyards... And I'm almost done. They're blessings that only Christ can give. You know, I believe what that does, that these are blessings only Christ can give, these vineyards. It's shaming all other gods. And it's Satan's envy. You know, these blessings that only Christ can give, while they're conditioned to the servant, they're limitless as well. In other words, while it's conditional, you're a servant, you get this vineyard you're a servant you're close to the lord you walk with the lord you get all these blessings you walk in the light you have this clarity you walk close to him he'll draw nigh to you you it's conditioned to the servant but it's limitless as well there is no limit god says of how much he'll bless one of his servants 
There is no limit, God has said, to how close to Him you can draw. There is no limit, God has said, to how many of His promises He'll show you. There is no limit that God has said to how, how close to Him you can feel and how big your smile can get today, spiritually speaking, in the Lord. There is no limit to what God has said, I'll speak to you in ten services, but not in the eleventh. No, He says, I'll speak to you Sunday. And I'll speak to you next Sunday. And I'll speak to you next Sunday. You open up my book. You know how many times in your lifetime you've opened up this book? He met you there every time. He met you there every time. It's, there are blessings that are conditioned to the servant, but they're not limited at all. These are limitless blessings. Limitless in its offerings and abundance. I want you to note some vines in Scripture. Deuteronomy talks about their vines were the vines of Sodom. Psalm talks about vines out of Egypt. Hosea talked about Israel being an empty vine. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the vine. I am the vine. There's vines in Egypt. There's vines in Sodom. There's empty vines in Israel. He's the vine. The vineyard we're promised is Him. There's no emptiness there. There's no falsehood there. It's truth and light and righteousness and goodness and love. That vine will never leave us dry. That vine will never leave us without sweetness. Can out of the same vine come sweetness and bitterness? No. So you'll never find bitterness in I am the vine. You know, you'd find bitterness in me. You walk with me long enough. I'd find bitterness in you. you. I'll walk with you long enough. Walk with him all day. you never find bitterness. All sweetness. All sweetness. All sweetness. Not only that, when I'm just walking through my day, he comes up alongside me. Like the road to Emmaus. Two disciples just talking about the Lord. And here comes the Lord. And opens up their eyes and talks to him. What a sweet God. What a sweet God. That generations ago, he didn't say I had it with that family. The Leafly family. One serving God a hundred years ago. Boy, had it with that family, had it with that family, had it with that nation, had it with that church, had it with that people. Boy, he's just sweeter every day. Song of Solomon said, I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Consider the hymn writers that said, sweeter every day. Consider the hymn writer that spoke about their time of prayer as a sweet hour of prayer. You know what they were doing? They were tasting that vine. They were tasting that vineyard. Consider the hymn writer who said, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." No, that sweetness is not a necessity. It's an extra blessing. The song we sung tonight, "'In the sweet by and by.'" That taste of heaven can be tasted tonight. We don't have to wait till then to have it. Because we've been given this comforter. We've been given this cup. Our cup overflows. We've been given this fruit, fruit, fruit. Where's the fruit come from? Out of that vineyard. We've been given that fruit of the Spirit. We've been connected to the true vine. We've been given an opportunity and an entrance into heaven. And we have that sweet by and by. It can be a little bit sweet now and now, all right? You can have some of it now, all right? To the servant. To the servant. Has God spoken to your heart this week about something? Because let me tell you something, to the servant, I believe your first thought and hesitation will be your life. 
Your coworkers, your brother, your parents, your husband, your wife, your comforts, your, your money, your something. Your first thought's going to be God spoke in your heart. Your first thought's going to be your home. And God's saying, I got my mind on your home. I got my mind on your home. Not only that, you say, Lord, I'm not that guy. I'm not that. I don't have a prison ministry. I don't have. What am I going to do? He'll, he's, got a, he's got a field for you. He's got a field for you. Lift up your eyes. Look, the field, they're white, white, white already to harvest. They're there for you, not for me. It's your field. It's Ruth's field. I can't go to her field. You can't come to mine. It's your field and God's got it ready. And it will sustain you and you'll be fed. And tomorrow you'll be fed. And not only will you be fed, there'll be handfuls of purpose. If like Ruth, you'll say your God will be my God. That God that spoke is going to be my God. And I'm steadfastly minded to follow him back into his place, to his land, to serve him. Not only a field, not only that house, but also a vineyard. This is not a boring life. This is not a boring God. He's certainly not dry, but rather he's sweeter. And when you just think you can't take any more, he gives you something else. And when you just think that there's nothing that can satisfy you, he does it. When you've got an itch that can't be scratched, he reaches it. All right, whatever it is that you have or you think cannot be outdone, he does it. You know why? Because he promises the vineyard. Not just the home. Not just the field. If you're serving him tonight, let me encourage you. You're going to find something. You're going to find something. You know the Lord's speaking to my heart about, about souls, sowing, showing souls and, and soul winning and stuff. God's speaking to my heart about that. You know what he's telling me tonight? And when I did this study this week, you know what he's showing me? It won't be fruitless. Follow me, servant. I've got my mind on your home. I've got my mind on that field. I'll provide for you through it day after day after day. You won't go hungry and you won't go without a labor. I'll bring more labor for you. Not only that, it'll be sweeter day after day after day. Because to the servant, to the servant tonight, God is able. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If God spoke in your heart about something tonight, I don't know what it would be. I know what he spoke to my heart about. Uh, I don't know uh, what he would speak to your heart about, but uh, the altar's already open. Some are already down here. We don't have a musician, so uh, you're just going to have to come down here and, and get with the Lord about it. Um, but if God spoke in your heart about something, the altar's open. Um, if you would, grab your hymnal and turn to hymn number 125. Hymn number 125. I'm going to stand off to the side and read. And the pastor can come up whenever he wants, but we're going to sing a couple hymns, uh, hymn number 125.